If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome. This is Medicine in America, a podcast that will share the stories of physicians and other healthcare professionals who are changing the way they practice. We will hear what made them realize they had to reinvent and rethink their approach to treating patients. My name is Anthony Manson. I'm a 20-year-plus veteran of the healthcare industry, and I'm being joined today by my co-host and longtime friend and colleague, Todd Harrington. Joining us today to discuss physician entrepreneurship, we have Arlen Myers, who's the CEO of the Society for Physician Entrepreneurs, and we have Dr. Jeff Housefield, who is a chairman of the board and chief medical officer of an exciting, innovative company called Biofactura which specializes in biodefense and biosimilar assets. He is also CEO of the Society for Physician Entrepreneurs, or as they like to refer to it as SOAP. I'm joined today also by my co-host, Todd Harrington. Say hi to Arlen and Jeff. Hello, gentlemen. How are you guys? Good. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for coming. Hi, Arlen and Jeff. Thanks for being on our podcast today. Pleasure. I wonder if we can just get started. Could you articulate what SOAP is and what your mission is and what you do for other healthcare providers who are considering starting their own innovative companies. Arlen, myself, and Steve Levine started SOAP probably a dozen years ago, recognizing that there was this dearth of information when it came to innovation and entrepreneurship. And we started within our own community, the otolaryngology ear, nose, and throat community, and we started giving lectures at our annual convention early in the morning, like seven o'clock in the morning, and 150, 200 people, you know, mostly residents would show up and say, gee, that's interesting. And after a while, we looked at each other and said, you know, this is probably something that more than just otolaryngologists should be learning about. So we broadened the, the scope and of what we were of who we were trying to reach. And it became an international organization that tries to educate and connect entrepreneurs with over 32,000 LinkedIn members worldwide. You know, we've been talking to a lot of physicians in the market today on medicine in America. And one of the themes we certainly see, as I'm sure you're, you're hearing too, is the hardships of being a healthcare provider during a pandemic, the hours, a lot of change and consolidation in practices. There's just a lot of challenges, and, and I think they're rethinking and reinventing themselves, and I think certainly starting their own innovative company is an option. So I'm just curious what you're hearing, and are you getting more and more inbound questions and, and physicians who are asking, what's it going to take? How do I get started? And I'm just wondering if you could discuss that a little bit. So the short answer is yes. There's several reasons and several drivers for that, actually, that we were seeing prior to the pandemic. The main ones have to do with uh, just generational differences in attitudes and mindsets. The second, I would say, has to do with the impact of burnout. The last analysis of this came from the Mayo Clinic proceedings, and two-thirds of the doctors they surveyed had at least one manifestation of burnout. So that's like an all-time high. 
And it's not just for doctors, it's pretty much for every health professional across, across the board, whether they're a nurse or an advanced practice professional, wherever they may be. The third driver is that little by little, there's a realization that the purpose of going to medical school and becoming a physician is not exclusively just to see patients. So there's a supply and demand disconnect, which I think is gradually changing. Over the last 40 years, we've really switched from being physicians taking care of patients to providers taking care of insured lives. Mm. And that element, that loss of the connectivity between a patient and their doctor, that loss of trust and confidence has worn away at the fabric of what medicine used to be. And for the reasons that people went, like Arlen and I went into medicine, it has evolved to the point where this is no longer a calling, but it's a job. Right. And it, it becomes so poignant when I have my own family members and friends go in for medical treatments and have to go into the hospital. I become the, their advocates because without that, the care is really subpar. Yeah. The yeah. physician owner no longer has that stake in their practice. They are an employee. And after a while, they start to act like employees. The last thing we, we want is physicians leaving the practice. So I don't know if that's going to change or if we can change that. We talked to one physician. She basically went down that burnout route and she decided to start her own practice. So that was really hard for her, she said, in terms of what she had to do. She had to decide what kind of practice that she wanted, which was more integrated medicine. And then she, of course, had to figure out the, the financial aspect of it, which she, she admitted she's not really good at that stuff. But she managed to find somebody who she knows to help her. And now she's on her way to a, hopefully a very successful practice. So how does it work? I mean, if, if an intern or, or resident or senior doctor comes up and says, hey, I have this great idea, what do I do? What do you tell them? Step one is come to our meetings. It really depends on where they are and what their ideas are. We don't try to handhold the person through the entire process. That would take way too long. But we try to give them the tools that they can learn how to navigate themselves. We do have chapters that are located in most major U.S. cities that are active and have in-person meetings, usually quarterly, sometimes you know, up to eight to ten times a year in some, in some markets. And that's a great place for people who are just starting out to go and meet other people that are just starting out because they have the same questions or they're in different phases of development where they can learn about intellectual property, about forming a business, about stocks. And if you have partners with you, how do, what do you do with the, with the shares? What kind of company do you want to make? What options do you want to give to employees? What stock options? All these, you know, fundamental things that businessmen understand and know about because it's how they have grown up and how they have been indoctrinated into the workplace doesn't happen in medicine because we're taking care of people. So this gives them the opportunity to see the other side, get the fundamentals, get the basics down. And then we really start getting into the very nitty gritty understanding of 
moving a product forward through the regulatory process because you just can't take something from your head and give it to a patient in really most countries in this world. There has to be an oversight. And that's where most patients and most physicians really lack that depth of understanding. And that's why learning about innovation and entrepreneurship is so critical and important because it gives all of us a better understanding of why things cost the way that what they cost, why it takes so long for things to come to market, because there are certain processes along the way that are both expensive, time consuming, and very intense in terms of their requirements to make sure that you're putting out a product that is safe and effective for the general public. Yeah, that, that can be daunting. I mean, I've worked with medical and regulatory groups for years, and I, I'm doing it as part of a larger organization. But I mean, it's certainly rigorous, and, and it can be daunting to someone who doesn't have that experience. But it's absolutely doable. And that's what we do. Let me just make one point. Even if you decide that you don't want to get involved with entrepreneurship, and we can talk about the definition, it's much, much more than just creating a company. Even if you decide, you know what, I just want to take care of patients. If you understand the entrepreneurial mindset, it will make you a better doctor. So there's two prongs. You have people that are maybe in a practice and have a product that you might help guide them and as an entrepreneur. But there's also those who, as you say, entrepreneurship doesn't mean just leaving and starting your own practice. It's, it, there's a dual, there's a few offerings within your organization. Is that safe to say? That is very safe to say because physicians, as well as PhDs and other scientists, can do many things. It depends on how much time and effort you want to put into this project that you have and how willing you are to get a team around you. Because if you're trying to do this all by yourself and try to own it all by yourself, which is uh, not not uncommon for physicians to want to do that, but very impractical. My response to that to that scenario is, yeah, you can try, but 100% of nothing is still nothing. It really does take many people to get a product to market, no matter what that product is. And at some point, the physician has to decide or the scientist has to decide, do I want to keep my day job? Do I want to do this as a you know side gig? Or do I want to as Arlen and I eventually did, retire from medicine and go full bore into entrepreneurship and innovation. I think it's important to, we shouldn't draw a distinction that this is an either or decision. If you are a physician and you're thinking about this, this is not an either or decision. It's do I quit my day job and do it or don't I? The vast majority of physicians that are involved in this do not quit their day job. They get involved in other ways as a subject matter expert to a company, as a part-time chief medical officer to whomever, to someone that does something that just serves as an advisor or a consultant. Or given the 70% number of physicians that are employed, they become intrapreneurs. In other words, they're an employed physician trying to act like an entrepreneur within their organization as an employee. There are many, or a social entrepreneur, or they could be a medical practice entrepreneur, or they could be a physician investor, or they could, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just curious, Jeff, you made the transition a while ago. 
you were in active practice, I think you said for almost 20 years. What brought you to that kind of the point of no return where it was like, okay, my clinical duties, you know, I really need to shift. And then I guess you decided to go to Johns Hopkins for your master's. Right. So I was young. I was about 51 years old when I retired from medicine after practicing for about 23 years. So I started young. It was at a time where after you've done 10,000 rhinoplasties, I was in private practice. I concentrated on facial plastic and reconstructive surgery and sleep apnea surgery. After you've done 10,000 procedures, 10,001 is a very small incremental increase in that. You do help people on an individual basis, but I started looking and saying, okay, what can I do on a, on a bigger scale? What can I do that leaves a bigger footprint? And at that point, before I had decided to, to quit practice, my then 22-year-old son came and said, Dad, I want to get an MBA. I said, good, go get an MBA. I'll pay for it. My parents paid for, for Yale Medical School. I'll pay for your MBA. Go ahead. And he comes back. He said, Dad, they want me to go to work first. Like it's a four-letter word. <laughs> I said, okay, go to work first. Yeah. I'll still pay for it. He said, but no, look at this program. It's from Hopkins, and it's a MBA with an emphasis in healthcare." I look at it and I said, the heck with you, I should do this. Wow. And he said, let's do it together. And the kid who got the MBA with me introduced me to a group of people in the Midwest who were looking for someone to help them raise funds to build assisted living facilities. Now, this hit home because my father-in-law was suffering from Alzheimer's at the time, and we had him in one of these facilities, and I hated it. They did not take good care of patients. They did not treat people with dignity or with respect or with, you know, the love and compassion that I wanted my father-in-law to be treated with. So I said, you know what, instead of just building a regular assisted living, let's build memory care facilities. Let's build facilities that really specialize in taking care of patients with Alzheimer's and dementia. So the connection that he made to my now partners for 11 years worked. We have six of these facilities in Indiana and Illinois that take great care of patients. I'm very proud of them and serve a very vulnerable population in those communities. And during this time, while I'm doing this, I said, you know, if I could teach this to other people, what I've learned that would be important and useful to them, Arlen and I said, yeah, let's do that. And, and we did. My story is a little bit different. So unlike Jeff, I spent 40 years in an academic job. I was a professor for all those years at the, and still am at the University of Colorado. And during that tenure, make a long story short, myself and several other people invented a gadget that optically detects cancer in the mouth. Like Jeff, I was clueless. I had no idea what to do with this thing, other than the fact that it was kind of cool and then we could do it, we patented it, et cetera. What, and, and subsequently created probably four or five other companies, most of which failed. And so I said to myself, like Jeff, how do I make a bigger impact? And I'm a professional educator. I have transferable skills. How do I, how do, I do this? And the long and the short of it is, one way was creating the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs, and that's kind of how I wound up where I am now. That's a great, great idea and great story. I think there's so many young doctors, old doctors out there who have those ideas too, and whatever we can do to inspire them, I think is 
payoff for us as a as a population. So what I was wondering was, you know, I've, I'm working with a lot of innovative companies in a lot of different sectors, you know, digital health, telehealth, senior support solutions is a big area. Where do you see the biggest investments going today? The investments are what they are. So if you just look at where the investments are happening, as we speak, VCs have a lot of dry powder. The number of investments is dropping significantly. The number of IPOs and exits are dropping significantly or have dropped. But medtech has slowed down. So probably the, the biggest sectors of investment in the past and now and probably in the future are in digital health and digital therapeutics. And of those sectors, the ones that seem to be the biggest reservoir of investment dollars are artificial intelligence and behavioral health. So if you're asking me, if you have 10 bucks, where do you want to go? Artificial intelligence and behavioral health. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of all over the place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you'll, you'll see that these, these things come into favor and leave favor over the course of time and over the course of, you know, just what kind of return venture capitalists are getting from their initial investment. The biopharmaceutical craze that happened during COVID where so many dollars were going into, you know, biologic and, and as well as antiviral efforts has slowed down considerably and really has caused a ripple effect in that there is less interest in the sector of biotech, although it seems to be bouncing back now. And, and that's being led by cell and gene therapy where not only can we cure disease by giving people medications over the course of their lifetime, but now due to molecular diagnostics, we can understand what the genes that are causing the problem are. And we have the capability of changing it, of either knocking out those genes or giving a patient the deficient enzyme that those genes don't make. So instead of giving a person a lifetime of medication, a cellular gene therapy can cure blindness, can cure cancer, can cure potentially diabetes in the years to come. So the future is very bright in terms of our ability to target certain diseases and really change the trajectory of what that illness looks like over that patient's lifetime. Yeah, we often get requests from individuals who are burned out, they're frustrated, they're, they're, they don't know what to do. They're $250,000 in debt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the single biggest thing that they find most comforting is when I tell them, you are not alone. And they frequently say, boy, that really makes me feel much better. I have hope. I, I'm just, I, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do. And then if you just tell them, Here's what we're doing. Here are all the other people that are in the same place you are. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And the fact of the matter is you have a lot of transferable skills that you can apply, but you have to change your mindset. It starts with changing your mindset. So step one is to do a, you know, take two weeks off and sit somewhere out in nature and think about this. Is this something that you want to do? Do you have the knowledge or do you want to get the knowledge, skills, abilities, and competencies to do it? But I also tell people that 
if you have the mindset, you also really need a very strong intrinsic motivation. The money is not going to get you there. You have to be intrinsically motivated. And the way I phrase that is you have to make it personal, but you don't take it personally. You have to have something that trips your trigger that will keep you going, but you're going to fail. So live with it. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you're not passionate about whatever it is you want to change or do, you're not going to get there. I totally agree with that. Well, the obstacles will knock you down because you're not passionate. Right. And we teach them, if you're going to fail, fail fast (laughs) so you can get right back up and try it again. Yeah. Yeah. We like to think that the mantra that people take on at a certain stage in life is doing well by doing good. Certainly when it comes to new innovative therapies, digital devices, surgical devices, it takes a long time. But if you do well and do good at the same time, it'll be so much more fulfilling and and life-changing. And that's what a lot of our members are looking for. Yeah. And also, it's your legacy. I mean, as you get older, you're like, what do you want to be remembered? Exactly. What do you want to leave behind? Right? Yeah. I mean, oh, I made a lot of money as a surgeon. Yeah, that was good. But before you guys go, though, any last thoughts for our listeners for that entrepreneurial thought that someone might hear it? I know you've told us a lot, but any kind of final words of wisdom? Tell people to take a look at the website, www.soapnet.org. We try not to charge a lot of money for membership. It's $80 a year. Most people can afford that. Even medical students join a community that is both welcoming and eye-opening because it really can change your life. We hope you enjoyed this interesting episode of Medicine in America. We have a lot more episodes coming, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to rate and review the show. Also, please tell your colleagues and friends about it. And I'd like to thank our special guests today, Dr. Arlen Meyer and Dr. Jeff Hausfeld. And of course, my co-host and longtime friend and colleague, Todd Harrington. And a special thanks to you, of course, the listener. I'm your host, Anthony Manson. And until next time. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.